0: Hey, we are on page uh, 15, I believe, in your little deal, and it should have the page that starts with salvation. Uh, salvation. And as you turn there, it's a kind of interesting phrase there, salvation. It's one of those Christianese phrases. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that Christians speak their own language? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes they, they hide behind words uh, and it uh, gets a little complicated, like the, the, the hypostatic union of the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ and sanctified, justified. It's like, what did you just say? You know? <laughs> And uh, we need to understand that, as you're turning there, I'm buying some time for you. Uh, we understand that when we witness to people, when we share God's love, they don't know, uh, by and large, what even John 3.16 means anymore. Remember in the old football games when they'd hold up the placard, John 3.16? I kid you not, there was an actual response. It was an article, it was a while back. And the person thought that that was some like text message that they they didn't even uh, correspond it to the Bible. Uh, that's the kind of society that we're living in. We're in a th- what's a, a third generation removed. From a Judeo Christian uh, uh, thinking and background. Uh, and uh, we're moving into the third stage, which is anti Christian. Okay, is where we're going. And uh, so, but anyway, that's for another study. But we are there, page 15. Salvation is what it says. Let's go ahead and get started. Right at the top, it says, How do I find God? Is what your notes say there. It says, This is a question most everyone asks at one time or another. Okay? Now, some people, when we uh, communicate with people, they say, well, that's not me. That's not for me. Uh, You know, you're into religion. I'm not, that's not. Well, if you'll notice, guys, uh, this actually uh, proves is one of the things that we dealt with in the study, does God really exist? It proves the existence of God, okay? Because the reality is everybody, uh, I would dare even say an atheist, uh, uh, oftentimes uh, they say they don't believe in God, but I think they really do deep down inside. They're not going to admit it. That's the game, the intellectual game that they play. Uh, oftentimes, I don't know if you've had this experience, but people will be very adamant, like I used to be, I don't believe in God, there is no God, etc., blah, blah, blah. But when hard times hit, who's the first one they come to ask for prayer? Okay, if you don't believe in God, why are you asking for it? Pray to who? Pray to the wall? What are you asking me to do? You know, And, and of course, you know, there's no atheics, uh, atheists in foxholes, the old saying of that nature. But this actually, if you notice, if you're sharing with people, there's typically three times that people are at least a little bit. They can be adamant, but there's three times in life that typically uh, they will basically start to think about God, okay, is what's going on there. And of course, the big one is at a funeral, okay? And a funeral is basically eternity smacking you up in the face, especially if you have a good old open casket, okay, smacking you up in the face. Uh, Oh my goodness, what's going to happen when I die? Now, that's what happened to me. That's what started the uh, spiritual questions for me. I was staring at my friend's corpse in the casket uh, who had died, and uh, man, it just it just naturally, I was confronted with that, and I was very grievous for hours uh, because I had no questions, no answers uh, to the questions that I had. Uh, another time that people are typically open to thinking about eternity, things of that nature, as strange as this might sound, is at a birth with a baby. And typically, there's a window of opportunity. The parents are a little bit spiritual. All of a sudden, they may never go to church services, but all of a sudden, they want their child dedicated or Uh, Other ones baptized, which obviously we don't believe in and I don't believe in scripture doesn't teach that But anyway, uh, so there's a little bit a window open uh, opportunity there and then the third one is hard times Okay, and this is why it's important. We're on that study. We just started it. how to have joy in hard times It's a profound witness. Okay, how many guys you finally woke up to the good news of jesus christ? You at least began to search about spiritual things because you went through hard times that's a very common one, uh, oftentimes. And with me, it literally was at the very end with the, the demonic entities and being multiply possessed, I believe, and, and just literally flirting with insanity. It took, it had, I had to go to that extreme before I would bow a knee and look up towards God. And so typically, again, people, they, they may even say, well, I don't need salvation. There is no God. They're, they seem disinterested, but bank on the fact that the scripture says that's not true. Okay? The Bible says we were created spiritually, morally, in the image of God. The problem is we've sinned, as we'll get into later in the notes, Lord willing, uh, and that we are cut off from God. Okay? But again, this is actually proof. The very fact that people, whether it's a funeral, whether it's a birth, whether it's hard times, even think about God, is a proof that there is a God. And that's what we saw if you uh, memorized the sermon. You got all the memori- sermons memorized, right, John, by now? Praise God. And we'll talk about lying here in a little bit. But uh, anyway, as we saw... <laughs> And uh, as we saw there, just to recap, that was the ontological argument, it's the big word, and that's the argument of being, and that's what I'm talking about. And the Bible says, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God is the one who set eternity in the hearts of men, Yet they cannot fathom what he's done from beginning to end. It's that curious nature, like there's got to be more to life. You know, it's the classical questions. What's going to happen when I die? Where am I going? You know, what life? Why do I exist? What, there's got to be a purpose to all this, okay? Uh, that came from God because we're created morally and spiritually. And so then logically, if we even conceive of a God, uh, then, you know, if there was no God, why bother? Why even mess with it, okay? Where did that come from? That's one of the other ones. The second one we saw was the argument of beginnings, for the existence of God, and that was common sense. We saw that, uh, how many of you guys had a birthday? Praise God. Okay, you just proved the existence of God, okay, because uh, something that has a beginning means there was a beginner, right? So we didn't just pop on the scene out of nowhere, okay? Did Kenny just come out of the the slime, the ooze, and the wind, and the rain, and a lightning bolt hit him, and he popped up? All right, some of us think that, but that's not true. Let's set the record straight tonight at Sunrise Baptist Church, Okay, that's not how it happened, okay? He came from somewhere. He came from his mom and dad, just like the rest of us, okay? And so, so if we know that all of life, i.e. the universe, Genesis 1-1, and even what the evolutionists would say, the Big Bang, had a beginning, that implies there had to be a beginner. So that's your second argument for the existence of God. The other one's the anthropological argument or the argument of morals. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 2. Uh, with that. And so he basically says, where does this inward uh, sense of right and wrong, the Gentile, the non-Jewish person, uh, how do they know that it's inherently wrong uh, to do certain things? where did this conscience come from? Why is it that every culture on the planet has this uh, innate sense of it's wrong to murder, it's wrong to steal? Where did that come from? Where did universal moral laws come from unless a universal moral law giver, i.e. God, gave them? We were created spiritually and morally in the image of God. That's where it came from. And then the big one, and this is the ones we saw in that study, we took a lot more time on, is the one that they're trying to get off the, uh, uh, the TV, they're trying to get out of the school system, and that's the teleological argument or the argument of design is what's going on there, the argument of design. Now, that's the, the sim- simplicity of the analogy of the watch, the watch analogy, very profound. It's like, a, you share that with somebody? It's like a new thought dropped in their brain. Okay, if, my, if I were to say my watch with about 12 moving parts evolved by chance besides Kenny... Uh, out of this cosmic goo with a lightning bolt, throwing some sticks, mud, whatever it is, over millions of years, and this watch just popped on the scene, fully functioning and working with correct time. If I truly believed that, what would you say? Yes, you'd start laughing. And then you'd realize, man, he's our pastor. Then you'd call a meeting, and then I'd be out looking somewhere else. But anyways, and that's good. That's what you should do if I really believe that. Okay, because that's completely illogical, let alone unbiblical is the point that's going on there, okay? But then evolution would have you and I believe that our bodies with 50 trillion cells, not 12 parts, 50 trillion cells with all the organs, all have to be there, all fully functioning, at the same time, did? You gotta have more faith to believe in that, okay? And so, so again, when I go in, I bring all this up to say this, people, when you share the love of Jesus Christ, when you share the need of salvation, that's our topic tonight, when you share the need of salvation with them, you go in banking that uh, they could scoff, like I used to. They could get adamant. They can get angry, like I used to. But deep down inside, the Bible tells you, no, no, something inside of them is interested in this. And again, uh, that's what we see from the Scripture. Now, that, that's kind of an a, a issue with, with sharing with somebody, salvation, uh, because oftentimes we'll approach, I say that for this, because we'll approach somebody... And they'll act like they're not interested, and so we just quit. I, when I witness to somebody, I bank on uh, this reality, okay? I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say, okay? I know deep down inside, when you're all alone, you could sit there and claim to be an atheist, okay? But when you're all alone, you're wondering, what in the world is life all about? Uh, there's various times in life when you're just wondering, is this, is this it, you know, and things of that nature. Uh, so, so, but uh, salvation, that's another thing. I wanted to bring this up a little side uh, tour here, but salvation, that's one of those good Christianese phrases. Salvation. Now, we, we say that when we witness to people. Saved, you need to be saved, or I'm saved, or I got saved. Saved from what? Hell. Rhymes with hell. Hey, that's right, hell. Yeah, that's great. Okay, yeah, saved from hell. But yet, oftentimes, uh the trend in the american church today guys whether you realize or not is people don't even give the gospel anymore people will go to a, a evangelical church and they won't even give the gospel okay i've had testimonies from people i've been going to an evangelical church and this is the i've been going there for two years and i've still never heard them give the gospel it's like, what's going on here? Okay, that's the trend. But then, if somebody does give the gospel, oftentimes it's what's uh, typically called the gushy gospel, which is not the gospel, it's a false gospel. And instead of Jesus coming to save us from eternal damnation, the penalty of our sins for sinning against an infinitely holy and righteous God, what we rightly deserve, okay, instead of saying that, they'll say that basically come to Jesus, okay, and he's more like a life enhancement, Have you ever heard that presentation before? And he'll fix all your problems. It'll be great. You just need to come to him. And it's just like you're trying to, you know, he's just an enhancement, a life embetterment, you know, thing. It's what? Now, I do believe following Jesus Christ will enhance your life (laughs) for the better. Okay. But you get in the car before the horse. We need to come with an attitude of repentance. It's not just, yeah, yeah, I'll try this Jesus thing. Okay. There is no repentance, there is no acknowledgement of the gospel that God is holy, we are not, the wages of sin is death, Okay, and, uh, and so people, you wonder, are they even really getting saved? Because they're not even acknowledging what true salvation is. Okay. Salvation, biblical salvation is not just a life enhancement. Okay. It is uh, dealing with eternity and the fact that we are cut off from God, we are headed right now, if we're not a born again Christian, We are headed to hell, and unless something changes, we're doomed. The Bible says, without Christ, we are under the wrath of God, right now, not in the future, not just in hell, right now, okay? It's only his mercy that he doesn't nuke us on the spot. That's how holy he is. Let's continue on. The answer you may get from people may vary uh, depending on who you ask. Most people in our world today would give you the answer, there are many ways to God. Okay, now again, we're we're on the topic of salvation. You even get to the topic of salvation, you start talking to people that they need to get saved, and they probably should ask, what are you talking about? Save from what? I'm not, that, I'm not in danger. You've know, you got to break down the Christianese. Let me encourage you to do that. Okay, but you even get that far, then they'll say, well, who are you? Who are you to have a corner on the truth? How do you know? What makes you any different than so-and-so? And it's this, this lie, this mantra, if you will, that there are many ways to God that I want to spend a little bit of time on tonight and dispel. Okay, One of the big uh, disseminators of that is right across the street here okay, from the Baha'i faith. That's where you get a lot of this baloney, and we'll see that hopefully uh, in, in a second. But just in a nutshell, if somebody were to come up to you and say, well, hey, what makes your way any different? I mean, don't all religions basically teach the same? Aren't, don't all paths eventually end up in the same location? What should your response be? No. Okay, then if I'm a non-Christian, I'm going to ask you, why? Then what are you going to say? This is where I'm getting to. Cause. Now, if you want to sound biblical, you say "cause." Okay, it sounds like Southern Hebrew or something. It sounds awesome. Okay. Or if you want to sound uh, evangelistic, and you put "uh." Have you ever done that? Put "uh" on the end of each of your words. Cause uh, I uh, said uh, cause uh. Okay. It's just a little tip. Yeah. Refrain from that. That's fun for a little bit, but that doesn't solve the problem. What you need to do is quote Bible. Okay, there's one verse in the Bible that dispels that so adamantly and you don't have to say, well, that's your interpretation. No, turn to it. And oftentimes uh, when you do that, uh, I, if you have your Bible with you, then have them read it with their own eyes. Don't even quote it. Okay, so could you tell me what this passage says? And that's John 14:6. Okay, we have that down here at the bottom here. Let's skip, skip down a little bit. It says, Jesus Christ said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father but through me. Okay, now notice the article is in between each one of those. Okay, not just a truth, not a way, not a life. He is the way, the truth, the life. And in case you don't get that, he's very emphatic. He says, and no one, that's exclusivity, right? Nobody comes to the Father except through him. So what did Jesus say? No, this whole lie that there's many ways to God, that's a lie. I didn't say that. That's why you need to have them read it with their own eyes. This isn't me just sharing my opinion, what I think the Bible says. You read it. It's not a confusing passage. And this is from Jesus. You need to remind them of that. That's what Jesus said. Okay. I didn't say that. He did. Okay. And so I want to talk about and I want to dispel outside of just John 14, 6. Should be enough, but we live in a skeptic world about the uniqueness of salvation, the uniqueness of gospel to dispel this lie that is so pervasive in a world today that aren't all Uh, religions basically teaching the same thing, okay? Now, just to give you a little insight to that, if anybody tells you and comes back with a response, well, aren't all religions basically the same? Don't they all teach the same? What they just told you guys is they two things, is what I've learned. Number one, they don't know anything about true biblical Christianity. To be able to make that statement, they don't know anything of true biblical Christianity. Number two, they certainly don't know anything about other world religions. Because when you take an even cursory look at the other world religions out there, they are diametrically opposed. So what in the world, how, how in the world, if you've done even a, a cursory study of world religions, even if you're not a Christian, how could you come back with this response that they all basically teach the same thing? What you find is they're parodying the media, they're parodying the educational system, what the push for the one world religion movement, which the Bible warned would come in the last days, the Antichrist kingdom, uh, wants them to think, okay? Because they're trying to educate people into that. Uh, is what's going on there. Uh, But I want to take a look at some of the uniqueness of why Christianity is unlike any other religion on the planet. And, of course, the correct response is, it's not a religion. That's right, John, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Okay, and uh, again, a lot of uh, religions on the planet, uh, they're man-made systems, and they don't talk about this intimacy that we could have with the Creator. You know, And we'll get to that hopefully in a second. But I want to bring up some points why you know uh, Christianity outside of John fourteen six is radically different when it comes to, again, the topic is salvation. And the reason why I want to spend some time on this, just to let you know, is because, hey, we can get all kinds of things wrong, right? You could get your tax form wrong and you'll pay a price, but hopefully you can make it through, right? Uh, you can get some relationships wrong. You can get wrong and the police pull you over. You can get, uh, you can't get this wrong. You get this wrong, everything's messed up. Number one, as a person, individually, your eternal destiny. Number two, you better understand what it means to be saved and get beyond the Christianese because we're the ones who are supposed to be telling people this good news. But if we ourselves don't even understand how to explain this good news correctly, we're messing up the opportunities we do get. Okay, that's why I want to spend a little bit of time on this tonight. Okay, uh, number one, all other religions basically teach that you either uh, are God, some will, Two, that you can become God, okay? Or here's the big one, most of them are this, that you can work your way to God, okay? It's a works-based system. So those three things, okay? Now, let's take a look at just that aspect. Yep, you're absolutely right, Bonnie. All religions teach the same thing. That's exactly like Christianity. Okay, so how could you, how could you make that statement that don't all religions basically teach the same? It's, it's crazy. Okay, uh, here's another one. Here's another, that's the first one. The second one is uh, the Bible is very clear that there are two eternal destinies. One, of course, is heaven, uh, but the other one is, rhymes with? Hell, you guys are catching on tonight. That's, praise God. Okay, hell. But uh, uh, do, as we're going to see, a lot of religions, they don't even believe in a hell. Hell is, is mythical. It's a state of mind. Uh, it just flat out doesn't exist. The Bible doesn't really teach that. They just flat out don't believe in that. So you take a look at just this one aspect of what the Bible talks about, saved. And again, isn't that the ironic thing? person say, well, I'm saved. And, or, or we say, you need to get saved. Well, again, saved from what? A mediocre life? A bad economic situation? No, hell. H- how could you truly explain the gospel? How could you really be explaining salvation if we never talk about what we're saved from? Isn't that weird? Why would we be scared? I mean, if there were, hell really exists, you'd think somebody, if they loved you, they'd tell you, they'd tell you. And that's why if you do the study in the scripture, the stats are Jesus talked twice as much about hell than he ever did about heaven. And people, well, he's just a fearmonger. No, think about it. If that place really existed and he really knew and he really was to become the way out of that, if he cared about us, don't you think he'd tell us? He told us twice as much than he did about the good news of heaven because he doesn't want people to go there, okay? And so what are we doing when we never talk about that? Sometimes, guys, it's the sting of damnation that grabs people's hearts. And we can't be scared about that, okay? Many times, oh, anybody? I hope everybody in here today, number one, every single day when you get up, you thank Jesus for your salvation. Number two, I hope, you don't, I hope you are a little explicit. Every day, I spell it out like this. Thank you, Jesus, not just for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me from eternal damnation and hell. I don't care how bad the day is. Whoo, that puts a smile on your face. rest of the day can go down the twos. Man, I'm not going to hell. All right? Now, uh, again, so sometimes we need to share that. So hell is a defining factor. Do all religions teach there is a hell? Of course not. So how in the world then can you make this statement? They all basically teach the same thing. They all lead to heaven. It's crazy. Yes, quickly. Yes, and I'll try to repeat them. So please keep them short. Yeah, well, explain the, uh, the place. The question is, uh, can you give a little description of hell? Okay, I can't, but the Bible can. And that's the issue with what we talk about with hell. Hell, if you do the cursory study on that, uh, it talks about it's a place of eternal, uh, let's list, list some words, damnation is one of them, uh, eternal fire, eternal punishment is what's going on there. Uh, it's a horrible place of anguish, just one minute, horrible place of anguish where you got weeping, uh, you got gnashing of teeth, uh you got uh, Luke chapter 16 is a great uh, passage, if you want to look that up, with the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, he was in another word that's used there. They're not partying. How many guys heard that one? Oh, I'll be down there partying with my friends. No, you won't uh, at all. Uh, the scripture there, Luke 16, let me go ahead and write it up here. Luke 16, he says he was in torment, in torment. He looked up and he was just begging just for a drop of water very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, again, the, the biblical uh, rule is anything that uh, we can describe or whatever pales in comparison, absolutely, to the reality. Very quickly, Mary. Yeah. Um, some people say that, that God's not done anybody because that God is love. Oh, man, now you're jumping in my notes on the next page that I don't think I'm ever going to get to. <laughs> All right, well, hey, if you guys don't mind, let's just hit them as they come, okay? And uh, it's just going gonna, gonna to be a long study, but just, I think it's going to be worthwhile. Let me deal with that, because that's a very, another popular one, not only about the, don't all pounds lead there. Uh, actually, that person's God, that would say, let me reiterate the question, that people would say uh, that my God is a God of love, and he would never send anybody to hell. Can I be blunt with you? I'm going to give you the answer, and then I'm going to explain why I'm going to say this, okay? Uh, that God is the most, that you just described, uh, my God is a God of love, uh, and He would never send anybody to hell. That God is the most horrific God you could ever come up with. It is I. Oh, uh, you talk about ogre. You talk about hellish. It's that God that you just described. Why? Because you cannot have true love without true justice. Right? God cannot be love. God is multifaceted in His character, He's one. Okay, but he presents himself in different uh, characteristics. Okay, but he's still one. If you could, uh, don't, don't admire my artwork here. That's supposed to be a diamond with many facets. Huh? Now, how many guys realize that uh, I never filled out in the TV guide, it said just draw Skippy the turtle and whatever that? I, I, I never sent mine in, so as you can tell. But anyway, <laughs> but he's, God is one, but he shows us that he is love. On one facet, he is holy. On another facet, he is just. On another facet, he is righteous. You know what I'm saying? But they're all just facets of the one God, right? So, so my point being in that, you cannot separate love from justice. God has to be all of that. Let me give you an example. It's common sense, okay? If you're going to say, well, my God, we never sin," by... Really, okay. So what you're saying is, uh, if, if somebody were to come into your house and were to murder your family, instantaneously what is the natural response that you desire i want justice right okay now let's say they actually uh uh, find the guy who did it the culprit okay you actually go to the court okay room and you actually are there and the the guy's totally guilty i mean there's no if ands or buts there's no like a long giant jury discussion it's like man you are so guilty you're guilty now the judge gets up there okay and he says you know what i'm a loving judge and uh, I believe that nobody should be punished. And uh, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna let you go. Now, would that be loving? That's the kind of God that they just described. Now, here's what love is. When you understand the wrath of God, when you understand the holiness of God, when you understand salvation and where we are supposed to go for our sins, and then what God did, it amplifies his love. That God cheapens the love of God, okay, and makes him into a horrible ogre okay, because here's what God did, okay, God, by all rights, okay, the gavel has been passed, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, we have all rebelled against God, we are all headed to uh, hell, that's what we deserve, now, wonder of wonders, God, and think of it, from God's perspective, he could have nuked the planet and started all over, right, think about it, he could have, right, but he didn't, okay, is what's going on there, and, and so here's what God did, okay, because he's not just just, and he is, it's just of the whole, okay, he is love. And so here's what God did. He then, the judge of the universe, he didn't say, well, I'll let you go. Would it be right if God were to let Hitler go? Would it be right for God to let serial murders go? I mean, if nobody accepted God's love and mercy, would it be right for him to just say, yeah, let's all go in there? Is that loving of God? Would that, see, that's the description of that God that people say, okay? That's a horrible God. But here he is, because God's love, here's what he did. He satisfied his justice and maintained love in an amazing way because he is the judge of the universe. And so after the gavel passed, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Done. Over. He stands up, if you will, if you could picture a courtroom scene in heaven. Stands up, the judge of the universe. Okay. And he stands up and he says, okay, here's my son ushers his son right beside you. You're the murderer. And he says, um, he's going to pay the price for you. Oh, what's the price? Oh, yeah, he's going to die for you. And he never did nothing. And he's my son. Now that's love. Do you see why that statement, break it down. I would never want that God ever. That is a horrible, ogre, rotten God to say that I would never send anybody to hell, but God maintains his love and his justice all in the same time because he did what only he could do. Aren't you glad that God stepped off his throne, if you will, and, and, and did what only he could do, provide the way out of this mess? You see what I'm saying? Okay, let's continue on. Great question. Uh, it says there's many ways to God. Okay, so we're trying to dispel that issue. I'm not <laughs> going to be on this for a long time. Uh here's another aspect why Christianity is unique. There's no way that all religions teach the same thing. It's it's is this is uh Jesus, here's another one, is alive. Right? Major difference. Okay? Buddha is dead. Okay? Muhammad is dead. Conf- oh great confused one. I mean Confucius is dead. Okay? Jesus is alive. So, do all Uh, religions teach that their major teachers, Jesus didn't leave us with that option, but we'll play with that, uh, that they're all uh, alive. All right, so then how in the world could you make this statement that all religions are basically the same? It's it's crazy, okay? Let's continue on with a couple other uh, aspects of the uniqueness of that. Uh, Jesus declared himself to be the Messiah. Open your Bibles very quickly to John chapter 4, John chapter 4. And uh, the count is, we're going to lead the the final portion of this chapter uh, in dealing with the classic passage of the woman at the well. John chapter 4 is what we're going to read, where Jesus clearly claims to be the Messiah. You'll hear people uh, say that, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, uh, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. He was just a great teacher. Really? Man, read the Bible. Read just the book of John. I mean, it is absolutely plain. John chapter 4. And uh, let's take a look at the, the back end of the account, uh, right about verse um, 25. Here's what Jesus said. After he has the encounter with her, etc., the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ, uh, Mashiach in the Hebrew, anointed one, Christos in the Greek, Christ, it means the same word once Hebrew, once Greek. Uh, the Messiah, the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, and says, I know the Messiah, right? Jesus declared, I who speak to you am a great teacher. I've just come to teach you some great more. He's a Messiah, right? Okay, Jesus, now here's my whole point, just bringing up this little thing, but they're starting to stack up, okay? Uh, Jesus clearly taught that he was the Messiah. He was not just a great teacher. So here's the common sense point. Do all religions teach that Jesus was the Messiah? No. So then how in the world can we make this statement that all religions teach the same thing? And they all... Again, do you start to see where I'm saying? They have just told you two things. They know nothing of biblical Christianity and they know nothing of world religions. They're just parroting what they're being told to think in the media and the educational system, unfortunately. The second thing clearly is a distinguishing point. Jesus said he was God. Open your Bibles to John chapter eight now. Flip over there. How many guys weeping because you closed your Bible and you should have left it up? That's right. You'll make it, Dario. Hey, let's give it up for Daryl. Word of encouragement. What What a guy. That's right. John chapter 8 there. As we turn there, we still enough time. Uh, and let's take a look at the context there. Uh, let's go down there towards 50. Okay, the Jews. Jews, they're getting ready. They're calling Jesus demon-possessed is the, is the context here. Uh, verse 48, uh, and they're saying, Are you crazy? Who do you think you are? Uh, you're demon-possessed. He's, and he says, No, I'm not, of course, obviously. And uh, then... Uh, uh let's start with 57 or no let's go 54 uh, jesus I, I if i glorify my glorify myself my glory means nothing my father whom you claim as your god is the one who glorifies me though you don't know him i know him if i said i did not i'd be a liar like you don't you love it how jesus confronts people he loves them enough to tell them the truth he calls them on the carpet okay Uh, and and he said, he's a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, yet you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. Why did they try to kill him right then and there? Who was he claiming to be? God. Now, if that isn't explicit, then flip over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. This is the classic passage of uh, Thomas. And uh, as he's doubting, Jesus already been resurrected, but he wasn't there when he showed up. So he's "If I don't see the nails in the sun, you know, and Stuff like that. So that's the passage, the context. John chapter 20. Okay. And uh, here's uh, verse 26. Here's what he says. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Aren't you glad that God is merciful, even when we doubt? Aren't you glad the passage that says that even when we are not faithful, God remains faithful? Isn't that a comfort? Okay, he says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my great teacher, you're another avatar that's appeared on the planet. To help us improve humanity as we usher into an age of utopia, Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. It's the purple cover. It's called the Barney version. Don't read it. Okay. Uh, Here's what he said. He says, my Lord and my what? God. God. Okay, man, you can't get any more clear than that. That's just a couple passages clearly dealing with the deity of Jesus Christ. That one's extremely blunt. Now, here's the point. Okay, do all religions teach that Jesus was God? Okay, then how in the world can we make this statement that all religions basically teach the same thing? It's absolutely Uh, crazy. Let's go again. Uh, Jesus, the Bible says, is the one who's responsible for creation. Open your Bibles to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Gary eats popcorn, is how a guy said that's how you remember that. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, but that didn't work for me. In Bible college, I came up with my own acronym. It's called uh, Gary Eats Putrid Chicken. Okay, and for some reason, that's stuck in my brain, Ruth, and it works. Okay, for some of you tonight, you're going to thank me later, hopefully. Anyway, I stalled enough time. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, let's take a look. Verse 15. He, speaking of Jesus, of course, is the what? The image of the invisible God. There's another one. You want to see God? Who are you looking at? Jesus right there, Okay. And he says uh, he's the firstborn, literally, I don't have a whole lot of time to deal with that. It's prototakos, that's in the Greek there, literally means preeminent one. What's unfortunate, Jehovah's Witnesses, other people who want to deny the deity of Jesus Christ, will take that word and think it's like a firstborn of creation. He's just a natural birth. That's not what's going on. The word literally means preeminent one. Okay, of all those who've ever entered into creation, he, Philippians chapter 2, took on the form of, uh, took on flesh, the form of a servant, humbled himself. okay. He did enter into creation, okay, but uh, it literally means he's the preeminent one. He, the, of all who've ever entered into creation, he's the preeminent one. That's all it's talking about. And it, later in the passage here, it says the same thing about being raised from the dead. All who've been raised from the dead, again, first he's the preeminent one, okay, etc. And that's why the passage is dealing with his authority. And that's why he's the preeminent one. Whether it's coming into creation, whether it's being raised from the dead, he's above all power and authority. But the passage that I want to deal with here is talking about where and who is responsible for creation. This is what it says there. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were what? Created. Now, in case you're not, if you don't understand what all means, I love how the Bible is very practical. Breaks it down for you, Tom. It says this. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rules or authority, all things were created by him and for him. He's also before all things. And gee whiz, if he's going to be before all of creation, who's he also got to be at that time? God. That's right, you guys are on the ball. God is the correct answer is what's going on there. So here's the point. Jesus is the one who's responsible for creation. Okay? Do all religions teach that the universe, all of life, came from Jesus, by him and for him? No. No. So how in the world can we make this statement that all religions basically teach the same thing? It's crazy. Absolutely ludicrous. Again, if somebody says that with absolute confidence in love, you could just translate that statement, oh, you're just parodying the media and the educational system because you don't know anything about uh, true biblical Christianity and you're just, you're, you're, you don't know anything about world religions. Okay? Uh, 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 some, act, some religions would say that we are created, two, two elephants are fighting together, and they got in a scuffle, and the blood was dripping off their backs, and that's why we have what we have today. Yep, that's exactly like the Bible. You're absolutely right, John. Uh, All religions, uh, that's exactly what the Bible says. In the beginning, two elephants got in a big, fat fight, and the blood, which is just absolutely crazy. And again, of course, Jesus teaches that he is the only way uh, to heaven. Uh, He is totally unique. The glorious gospel, salvation, that's what we're talking about, that the Bible talks about. Uh, is the only one that talks about having an intimate relationship with God, right? A lot of them says, you know, that uh, you'll never know God, that God is disinterested in us, okay? That he, he, even if they want to say there is a God, they'll say he got it kick-started, and then just we're all on our own, okay? Or some would teach that you can never even know uh, that you can have a relationship with God, let alone if you can even make it to an eternal paradise, Okay? Uh, So again, this aspect of having an intimate relationship with God. And dare I say, even now, as born-again Christians, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, we have an intimate walk with Jesus now before we get to see him face-to-face in heaven. It's only found in Jesus, not in Buddha, not in Joseph Smith, not in Mary, not in good works. It's only found in Jesus. And so therefore, why do you think the enemy would be working so hard, okay, at trying to promote this absolutely ludicrous statement that all religions basically teach the same thing? Because he's evil. That's right, Freddie, because he's evil. It's obvious. It's it's there. He is evil, okay, uh, is what's going on there. Again, that's what we're talking about, salvation, okay? Salvation, by nature of what we were explaining tonight, guys, flies in the face of this world. It's exclusive, right? Right? It's exclusive. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. That's what we're dealing with. John fourteen six. Now, what is the one thing this world absolutely detests? For us, that, right? Have you ever shared with somebody, and they literally said, "Well, who are you? Who are you to think you have a corner on the truth? Who are you to say that your religion is better than?" Blah, blah? I'm not saying this. Jesus is. That's the power and the importance of you. Read that. You tell. I'm not making this up. And really what that does is it transfers it from personal opinion to, if you want to buck at it, it's not me. Start bucking at the Bible. Some people still will. I probably would have. I'll guarantee it back in my day, unfortunately. Uh, But still, you get it off of the personal opinion uh, aspect is what's going on there. But why would the enemy work at that? Because he knows it's true. He knows that all the other religions on the planet lead to a dead end called hell. Okay. Now, let me explain to you very quickly, in closing, his character and then we'll have to continue on uh, on this topic next week, uh, Lord willing. Uh, there's two different Greek words in the Bible for evil, okay, if you're taking notes there. The first one is kakas, okay, so what's going on there. It's an intriguing word, but it's Greek, okay, <laughs> okay, and paneros, okay. Now, they both are translated in the English as evil, and that's correct, okay, is what's going on there. But if you know a little bit of the Greek, a little nugget pops out, okay. This one here, kakas, uh, means just like a moral, evil, somebody did something that was bad. Let me give you an example. Okay, guy goes into a 7 over here, and he robs the store. Okay, that's kakas. That's bad. You shouldn't do that. That's morally wrong. That's evil, right? Okay, he was he had a, at a gunpoint. Well, the cops, praise God for LA, Las, or Las Vegas PD. Metro, is that what you call them? Really, Metro? I said, oh, give it up for Metro. Okay, anyway, so <laughs> they, they surround him, and there's no way out. They got the whole building. He can't, he's not going anywhere, right? So the guy gives up. Okay, that's the Kakos situation. Okay, that was evil. That's wrong. Here's Poneros. It means evil too, but let me, let me give you the same scenario, okay? Uh, is same guy goes into the 7-Eleven, uh, get held up, and uh, gunpoint. Metro shows up, does their job. There's no way out. Might as well just give up, but this guy doesn't. He is so evil, okay? He knows there's no way. His gig is up. There's no way out of this mess. And so what he does is he takes his gun and he starts capping. He starts killing as many people as he can before the Metro rushes in and takes him down. Now, can I tell you which word is used of the devil? Poneros is what's used. And boy, does that explain some things or what? The devil knows that his gig is up. His time is up. He's over. Jesus has utterly defeated him. He has been emptied. He has been shattered. Read the rest of Colossians chapter 1. He is defeated. He's the big fat loser. And ultimately, he is headed into the lake of fire. He knows it. He probably knows the Bible uh, better than you and I could ever shake a stick at. He knows his future. But he is so stinking evil. He's so ponderous that he's seen how many people he can take down with him. And one of the biggest lies that he's using today is what I want to dispel tonight is this lie that hopefully you have a better understanding of how ludicrous it is that all religions basically teach the same thing. That's why he would do that, because he is that evil. Quickly, and we have to close. What if you're witnessing to somebody and they don't believe in hell? uh, hell? That's the importance of what we do, Lord willing, every single Sunday is you let the law of God do the conviction, okay? You show them what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death, okay? Uh, But the gift of God is eternal life uh, in in Christ Jesus, okay? And that's why, if you hear me, I go down through, I I use the law because you could sit out there and you could scoff at me, yeah, you Christians, you wackos, you know, I was one of those people, right? "I I don't need this salvation, I don't need to be saved. You guys are weird, right, you know? Listen to that preacher, he keeps telling dumb corny jokes. Who what do you think you're made of? Anyway, so but, uh, but anyway, so I know you're out there. But anyway, so <laughs> anyway, so but at the end, I let the word of God do its work. Okay, is like this. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah. yeah, yeah, we've all told a lie. That's the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness. Have you ever uh, uh, told uh, stolen something? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Have you ever you just go down the list, have you ever used God's name in vain? That's blasphemy. And, you know, just go on and on down the list. And what happens is the person's countenance usually begins to change. You know, and then they'll start to rationalize. Well, everybody lies. Doesn't make it right. We we haven't even got to the the second page, okay, dealing with the aspect of holiness. If you don't understand the holiness of God, you'll never understand salvation, and you certainly won't appreciate it like you should. Okay, because when you understand how holy God is, and he says, I'm so holy, you can't even tell a lie. That's how holy I am, to be in my presence, because that's the ultimate issue, right? Most people who disbelieve in hell do believe in a heaven, most, okay? So then that's what you play on to answer your question. Okay, then on what basis are you going to be in heaven? Would you agree that God, even their version of God, is love and good and right, and he doesn't do you know, bad things, and most yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so, so then you basically have got him into the corner with God is holy, right? He is good. And then what you do is you use the law of God uh, to demonstrate their non-goodness, right? Okay, and they show, well, well, now you've got a dilemma, don't you? How is that which is holy or good going to have a relationship with that which is unholy? You've lied, you've stolen, you've you've blasphemed God, you've committed adultery, uh, I'm done with coveting. Our whole economy banks on us coveting, doesn't it? Every single commercial is a temptation to covet. That's a sin against God. That's how holy he is. You never hear much about that. But that's what's going on there. Okay, and so then at that point, as their countenance begins to change, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I do have a dilemma there. God's good, and I'm not. How am I going to get there? That's when you let it sit for a little bit. Then you tell them the good news. Let me tell you about Jesus. God is the supreme judge. And the wages of what I just explained to you, and what you've just admitted, we deserve to die. We don't deserve to go, and be with God. We're separated from God. Now, whether you want to believe it's a hell or what, but we are separated from God. But here's the good news. God is the judge of the universe. And can I tell you something? Even though we've done that, he, he took off his robe and, and, and gave his son in the heavenly courtroom. And that's the good news. That's what the word gospel means. That's the good news that I'm here to tell you. That if you would just accept the fact what God says, that he has given his son in his heavenly courtroom to pay the price for your sin or badness, however you want to do it, he will accept you. He will forgive you, and he will make you his child. He'll adopt you into his forever family, okay? Don't get the cart before the horse. Sometimes we don't allow the law to do its work so that that brings remorse. That should bring an attitude of repentance. Then you explain the gospel, okay? because it is very dangerous if you go the other way cuz typically it's like what are they are they is there even any repentance is there any even acknowledgment of sin is there any even acknowledgment of their dilemma what again what are they saved from that's the whole goal saved from what a bad life mediocre existence no you're saved from hell okay is what's going on there so again i would use the law hey i would love to take more questions that would be awesome one question Oh, man, you are just teasing me, aren't you? But I'm going to flip that around, I'm going to tease you guys, because uh, Lord willing, I guarantee it's probably going to come up in one of our studies, but I'll leave you with this acronym. If, if uh, Gary Eats Putrid Chicken doesn't help you, remember the order of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Anybody ask you who's a skeptic of the Bible? All you've got to do is remember this one. <clears throat> Bubba Jones and Earl T. Mason ate peppered squirrel sausage. And if you remember that, you will have the ten lines of logical evidence why the Bible is unlike any other book on the planet. But thanks for that question, Mary. We'll have to get to that next time. Let's close in prayer. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy? God bless.